Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah, I'm, uh, I am so delighted to be serving with you and Diane. Again, God's brought us together and brought, it's been beautiful. I've been so blessed by your life. Thank you very much. We are going to kind of pick up where we left off. I shared a message sometime last month. I don't remember the date. And it was the start of an expository study of Ephesians. And my intent is just to keep rolling through Ephesians. So that's what we're going to do today. I would I'd like to pray first to make sure that the Lord can use me as effectively as I hope he will. Lord, I just thank you that you have such great promise in your word. Lord, that you have already spoken this morning and shown us so much of who you are, Lord, and who we are in you. Lord, I pray that you would continue to reveal that to us, Lord. I pray you would you would help me to speak, Lord, with clarity and anoint my thoughts and my words to be your words. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, yeah, this was... Uh, this was exciting. I'm going to continue. We got into chapter one, our agenda this morning. We're going to do a quick review on chapter one. We're going to talk about the, some of the location, the key verse. We'll do some quiz work on that. I'll check you on your homework. Did you guys know you had homework? Did you guys remember your homework? All right, we'll get into the homework. Then we'll go into the section of scripture that we're going to deal with today, which is the end of chapter one. So this is some this is some exciting stuff. So let's take a look here. First of all, this is your first quiz. Can you pull up the map? We had a map up of the area where Ephesus is, and I've blocked out some of the towns of the cities on there. And there's three locations on here, A, B, and C. Can anybody remember which one is Ephesus? C, you got a C. Anybody got any other guesses? That's a strong C. Got some, got some thinkers up here. Ge- geography, everybody loves geography? Yes, uh, next slide. This is Ephesus right here, and we have Athens and Philippi. So there you are. You didn't know what you knew now. And this next time you read the book of Philippians, you go, oh, yeah, I remember where that is because it's Right up there. Interesting stuff. Anyway, so yes, C is the correct answer. C is always the right answer in a multiple guess test, right? I think so. It's one of those things. C is good. Okay, so the next little question and review is the Ephesians key verse. The key verse of Ephesians, of the book of Ephesians, go ahead and put it back up there, is chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the blank places in Christ. Heavenlies. Heavenlies. It's a recurring theme throughout the book of Ephesians. The heavenlies. And we're going to see a little bit of that today, too, when we get into the later part of the chapter 1. And if we can get a hold of that in our heads that the things that are declared about the heavenlies and the things that are declared about the supernatural and our position in the supernatural, guess what? It has an impact in the natural. It has an impact in our lives today. That's some exciting stuff. Okay, so good review. 
good quiz review. Let's take a look at the homework from last week. So this is last week's homework. When, when I finished the message last time, I said, read back through ch- chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And I said, note down the spiritual blessings that are promised to us. And last week, I showed you a map that somebody drew, and they had the blessings noted on there, like a treasure map. That was really awesome. I'll show it again today. But that's kind of the thing. Did you take a chance to make a list or highlight them? Anybody do this on chapter 1? Anybody do dog eat your homework? Yeah, dog ate my homework too. Actually, no, I did the homework this time. And then read the rest of chapter one. You'll have some homework at the end of this one too. So if you didn't get the first assignment done next time I speak, we'll check for the homework for this week. <clears throat> okay, so I want to talk a little bit about this thing. That treasure map is what I referred to. And there's something about having a creative way of capturing the things. This is verse 3, I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Verse 4, I'm chosen in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless. And the person who did this, artist that did this, called the whole thing Identity Island. They called it Identity Island because these are all statements about our identity in Christ, the things that God has chosen. He's freely given grace. He's predestined us for adoption of sons, redemption through his blood, forgiveness of sins, lavished with grace. When we begin to understand our identity, when we begin to understand who the Father says we are, who we are in Christ, who we're affirmed through in the Spirit, our life can be revolutionized. We'll talk a little bit about that. So I love this, and I kind of quickly grabbed the elements of this off and made it into a bulletized list. So let's pull that up. And we have from the Father, chosen before creation, predestined for adoption, sonship, freely given grace. The next one, through the Son. We have redemption, forgiveness, lavish grace, wisdom, understanding. We are chosen and we are predestined again and through the Spirit. We are included in Christ, marked with the Holy Spirit as a seal. Man, we could dig into that. Guaranteed inheritance. These are all solid. And I am, I will say this, I am a visual learner. Everybody has different learning styles. Visual learners are pretty fortunate in that often they can read and comprehend things pretty easily. Whereas somebody else who just doesn't get it off the page, maybe they're an auditory learner and they have to hear it. And so if you hear, uh, I know somebody in my family that has almost photographic auditory recall where she can watch a movie once and repeat all the lines flawlessly. Or you can say, yeah, well, so-and-so said to me, blah, blah, blah. She goes, no, they didn't say that. They said this, that, and the other thing. You're probably right. Auditory learners have that ability. Then there's kinesthetic learners that have to learn by doing in motion, all these things, right? But I'm a visual learner. And so for me, having visual things and pictures and stuff, and and the Lord speaks to me often in pictures, it helps me. So even having this bulleted list is kind of nice, but I took it a step further in my review. So I'd like to uh, set the stage for this a little bit. Go ahead and give me the next slide here. So cut off the top of the page there is a word about ammo. (laughs) And these are ammunition boxes and ammunition cases in case you didn't notice. But one of the things that speaks to me about Ephesians is it's, one of the most clear books that has truth about spiritual warfare. And having been a soldier, but even before I was a soldier, I was, 
always really into military history and understanding that sort of thing. So as I dug into this, God just speaks to me through oftentimes those principles. And in chapter 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the powers and the darkness of this world. You see that. And then you get into the armor of God. Of all of the pieces of the armor of God, there's really one offensive piece mentioned in Ephesians 6. Does anybody know what that is? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So for me, when I look at offensive piece of gear, kind of its equivalent today is a military rifle. And the thing about a rifle is it's all great, and it can be zeroed in. It can, it can have sweet action, nice telescopic sights or not, and it can fire quickly or not, and it can do all that great stuff. But unless it has ammo, it's really only a club. And as a soldier, I will tell you, I'd much rather engage something at range rather than trying to hit it with my rifle butt. I'll tell you, I'm probably much more effective hitting something at two, 300 meters out than having to bash it in the face two feet away. So I believe that God's word is like ammo, and especially all of those promises, all of those statements about our identity. If we can get those and load our magazines with those when we're going through things and we are being attacked by the enemy and we are being told a lie, we can fire the truth back. So this is the way I visualized it even further. Next slide, please. So here we got some rounds over here. So we've got the same principles that I had up before, but just kind of put them into single words. So chosen, sonship, adoption, grace. These are all from the Father. Next one. From the Son, redemption, forgiveness, wisdom, understanding, predestination. And from the Spirit, we have, we are included, we are sealed, and inheritance. So for me, this was just my way of capturing something to make it stick in my head, to make me understand that. You know what? God's Word is really important for me when it comes to spiritual struggles. Because each one of these can be something that can take down something that's threatening my life, threatening others. That can be something I can fire to help someone else, to, to suppress an attack on somebody else. We'll get into more of that. There's a whole, I can go deep into spiritual warfare analogies, and we won't go that deep into that today. But this is, I just wanted to show you this as a kind of a, an example that works for me as a, as a visual learner. All right, so we're going to do a couple slides here. We're going to review the chap overview outline sort of thing for Ephesians. So the first, the first part of Ephesians is the doctrine of our riches in Christ. And we're talking about in chapter 1 our spiritual possessions in Christ. Chapter 2, we'll talk about our positions through chapter 3. And then these are through the rest of things. This is kind of where we are in the book. We're still in chapter 1 talking about our spiritual possessions. Then the slide after that one is what we're going to talk about today. We talked last week about our possessions in Christ through the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And today, we're going to get into the last part of chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. We're going to be going over Paul's prayer for enlightenment. Paul's prayer for enlightenment. Hmm, kind of interesting. Let's go ahead and put this up. I'm just going to read through these verses, and then we'll come back and dig into them. So, Verse 15, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, 
asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called his chosen people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenlies. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. Wow. There's some powerful, powerful stuff there. We're going to back up and kind of go, kind of pull out a little bit of these things in this. So first of all, this is Paul praying for the people he's writing to. It's kind of kind of neat. And this is actually a pretty amazing template prayer when you get down to it. But what I think is pretty interesting right here is I pray for you constantly. How do you pray constantly? How are we supposed to pray constantly? Does anybody understand how that works? How do we pray constantly? I think Paul was praying all the time for the Ephesians. Probably not all the time, but he prayed for them every time, remembered them, every time God brought them to his remembrance. He had a desire to see them fulfill what God had for them, and he had a desire to see those things. And what's interesting is the first thing he says that he's praying for them is that God will give them spiritual wisdom and insight, and that they will grow in the knowledge of God. Give you spiritual wisdom and insight how would he pray for spiritual wisdom and insight and grow in the knowledge? And in the next verse, let's look at the next one. Very next verse, it says that your hearts will be flooded with light. Other translations say that your hearts will be enlightened so you can understand the confident hope. Spiritual wisdom and insight, understanding, enlightenment. Why is Paul praying this for believers? People that already know Jesus. People that already have the Spirit. Why do we need to be enlightened? Jeff talked about it this morning. It's a rogue government, right? Our minds are darkened when we are unbelievers. When we become believers, it doesn't automatically change. Our thought processes don't automatically line up with the word of God. We got the Holy Spirit in us, prompting us, but our mind's going, oh no, this is gonna be horrible. And the Spirit's going, hey, wait, it's gonna be okay. We're gonna make, make it through this. All things work together for those that are called according to purpose and love God. But wait, it's bad. It's gonna, it's, oh man, I can't believe I messed up again. I'm such a horrible sinner. Jesus can't love me. But wait, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. It's interesting that Paul is writing this amazing book of Ephesians, and the first thing he's doing when he's praying for them is he's praying for them to gain some understanding, to gain some core, solid foundation in their understanding of who they are. We get into this incredible richness of his power 
His mighty power. Now this, this just kind of blows my mind here. So 19 through the end, you will understand the greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. That's all of us. And this is where it starts to blow my mind. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. He was dead, physically in his body, dead, and in the grave for three days. No blood flowing through his circulatory system. No oxygen exchanging in his lungs. No synapses firing in his nerves or brain. Christ's physical body was dead. But God's power raised him to life in three days. What's it saying here? It's that same power. And what's it say? It seated him in the place of honor amongst God's right hand in the heavenlies, in heavenly realms, which is reflected back what we talked about in our key verse. So Christ, not only his body was raised back to life. Okay, so guess what? He wasn't the first one to raise after three days. Lazarus, right? So, okay, yeah, so Jesus raised from the dead after three days. Well, we already saw that with Lazarus. Okay, so we know God's a miracle worker, right? Okay, big deal. But what happened during those three days? What happened when Jesus was dead for three days? Where did he go? What did he take? He went down, and he took back the authority that was stolen by that traitorous act in the garden in the beginning. He went and took back the keys of hell, death, and the grave, and took those back, and he basically took back our destiny. He regained our destiny for us, seated at the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything. All things have been placed under the authority of Christ. There's a word in here that has the sense of subjugation. Subjugate. To be subjugated. To subjugate is to conquer and rule over something. When a country goes to war and conquers another country and rules over it, they subjugate that other country. And this is what God is saying about Christ's power. He has been placed so far above everything else. He rules over everything else. All those things that are in the natural, that are elements of our daily life, guess who's over all of it? Guess what power is over all of it? And what did he say? that you would understand that power. You would get it in your head that that power, it's not just about, oh, wow, you know, Jesus did this great thing, and now he's up in the heavenlies, and yay, wow, Jesus is amazing. No, no, no. That is the power that God's given us. That same place, that same position. You see it right here. The benefit of the church, and the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere within himself. We are integral into that same power. I can't cut my head off and put it over here and let my body go do something else and let my head do something else over here. It doesn't work like that. Jesus as the head and the church as the body are one thing. They are tapping into that same power. And that's what, that's what Paul's praying for. That's what Paul's asking. Lord, help them understand that. Help them get it. Help them know that it's not just about what's going on 
in the day-to-day. That it's not just about Jesus was great and he did mighty things, but it doesn't have any impact on me. No, we are integrated into that. That blows my mind. That's some exciting stuff. And I want to take it this morning and let it impact our own lives. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. But I will tell you that the spiritual walk, the Christian walk, isn't all a bowl of cherries, isn't all easy. God lets struggles happen. Hardship is part of it, and we grow through it. But if you're going through the middle of something, if there's a situation in your life, whether it's through a relationship or something going on at work or something going on at home or you're just financially struggling, whatever those things are, if we can tap into knowing that that same power that raised him from the dead, that seated him above everything, is integral in my life, is part of my experience that can rock our world. I'd like to have the worship team come up. I want to review some homework for next time really quick, but then I want to give a chance for a response. So can you put up the, the homework slide second to last one? Yes. Read back through this last section of Ephesians chapter 1. And I challenge you, take that prayer that Paul prays for the believers, rework it for yourself. Lord, I thank you that you're giving me wisdom and understanding, insight, that you're enlightening my heart to understand your power, to grasp the power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that's living in me. Rework that. Put that into your own words. Start praying that. See what happens to yourself. Oh, my gosh. Whoa. God's going to do some transformation if I'm not careful. Then also for next time, and it won't be next week, but it'll be whenever I get up and speak again, we'll, we'll dig into chapter 2. So read chapter 2 and take note of all the positional statements, the things that say where we are or where Christ is, because this is about our position in Christ, our position in Christ. So read that with chapter 2. But finally, for wrapping up our service, why do we need to be enlightened? Why do we need to be enlightened? Because our minds were darkened. We have been filled with incorrect thought processes, with incorrect responses, with habitual reactions throughout our life. Because we have a sin nature, and we grew up as sinners, and there's part of that. But God can do that enlightening part. God can do that reworking of our thoughts and minds, having our minds washed by the water of the words. That's a big part of that, Mm -hmm. that rogue government. When we recognize that that's active, it's trying to mess up our life, trying to mess with our things, we understand, no, no, no. There's a government that's handed by Christ who's subjugated that rogue government. I don't have to line up to that old way of doing things anymore. And I'd like to give an opportunity, as we sing this last song, we're going to sing Raise a Hallelujah. As we sing this, I'd like to give an opportunity for anybody that wants to, to come forward and just pray where you need that power wherever you are at. That same power 
that raised Christ from the dead, that same power that took the keys of hell and death, that same power that's already been put under the authority of Christ. Whatever you're going through, I invite you to come up and pray. I'm not saying we should all come up and pray for you. It's just a chance for us to come up and talk to the Lord and call on that to be active in our life if you need his power. And I'd just like to remind you, one of the most profound things that you can do as a believer is gain that understanding of your identity in Christ. That you are called. That you were predestined. You were adopted. There's an amazing, indescribable amount of grace for you. Your inheritance, you're marked, you're sealed by the Spirit. We can get those things. So I don't know how God's speaking to you, but I just invite you as we sing this last song to come forward and just spend some time with the Lord here in His presence. Thank you. to what Jeff uh, gave this morning about how Adam and Eve, they basically gave the enemy the authority when they chose to sin. Christ's sacrifice on the cross gave that back to us. God's holding that out to us in his hand. And if you don't step up and take it out of his hand, it stays in his hand. I don't have the authority until I take it from God and put it into action. So with everything that's been going on with Jacob, it's been a real challenge questioning why. And I still don't know why, and I may never. And I've been praying over him, but I've been praying from the position, the, a defensive position of a victim waiting for God to rescue me. This morning, I was praying as I was getting ready. And I made the choice that I'm not going to pray from that position anymore. I have the position of authority. I'm going on the offensive. Yes. And what does taking the authority look like? It is speaking with boldness directly to Satan. Telling him exactly what his position is, which is under my feet. I'm not standing back and waiting for God to come in and rescue me because he's he's held that authority out to me and I've taken it out of his hand. And Satan has no authority anymore. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 